At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Remy, Dungeon Master and a player on the Riftwake podcast. I'm Mitch, a player on Riftwake and a D&D enthusiast. And today's topic is Magical Protections! Mitch, what is a Magical Protection? Condoms. <laughs> I mean, I would argue that Even knowing it was coming, you still found it funny. It is funny. (laughs) I mean, I would argue that that's a non-magical protection, but (laughs) if you're talking magical in the metaphorical sense, I'll let you have it. (laughs) But how about in terms of keeping things or places safe, that type of protection? Shield spell. Yeah, that's a good spell to keep a person protected, but we're talking more things and places. Uh, so as a reminder, this is the sequel to Banking. Well, you know what I mean. The trequel to Banking. The thematic pairing for this week. Yeah, well, next week technically, but whatever. The week in which people are listening to this. So it, it is this week for whoever hears this, because for them this is now. Just for that, and posting without order. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I know there's something I'm trying to think of that we've talked about before, but I'm drawing a blank. Uh, and we've talked about a lot of things before. Yeah. So, okay, in a D&D world, what would you say is the absolute bare minimum to just keep a... Like, let's stick with location. So, like, on Tuesday's episode, we talked about banks. And we talked about how in a magical world, there's a lot of dangers that exist in terms of keeping such a location safe. So to start with, at least, let's just kind of focus on kind of continuing the bank idea, but with the addition of much more magical options. So in a D&D world, what would you say is the most basic danger in terms of keeping someplace safe? Uh, teleport? Teleport. Yeah. So we're going to be talking homebrew later on, as we always do. 
but is there a by-the-book method of keeping teleporters out? Maybe? I don't know. There is, in fact. Uh, there is a spell forbiddance. Unfortunately, it is cleric only and a sixth level spell, which is more than a little bit unfortunate because, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of a lot. There's even in a higher magic D&D world like I tend to favor, six level spells are no joke. But anyway, the forbidden spell, 10 minute casting time, able to be cast as a ritual, though, which is real nice. So if you just make it a 20-minute casting, then it is no uh, consumption of the spell slot. It has a one-day duration, which is nice. And it creates a ward against magical travel that protects up to 40,000 square feet of floor space to a height of 30 feet above the floor. Uh, For the duration, creatures can't teleport into the area or use portals, such as those created by the gate spell, to enter the area. The spell proofs the area against planar travel and therefore prevents creatures from accessing the area by way of the Astral Plane, Ethereal Plane, Feywild, Shadowfell, or the Plane Shift spell. In addition, the creature damages types of creatures you choose when you cast it. Choose one or more of the following, Celestials, Elementals, Fafians, Undead, yada yada yada. I honestly don't care as much about that part in this particular instance. Uh, When you cast the spell, you can designate a password, a creature that speaks the password, as it enters the area, takes no damage from the spell. The spell's area can't overlap with the area of another forbidden spell. If you cast forbids every day for 30 days in the same location, the spell lasts until it is dispelled. And the material component, uh, which is some other stuff and a thousand gold worth of powdered ruby, uh, is consumed on the last casting. So, yeah, it's a really, really good spell. Excuse me. It's a very good spell. So first off, 40,000 square feet of space. So that would be a 200 foot by 200 foot square. And then it also says to a height of 30 feet. So, yeah, that really is a pretty good sized area. And also the fact that with... 30 days of repeated casting, it lasts until dispelled, is also pretty damn nice. Now, are there weaknesses to the spell? I'm going to assume so. Well, first off, it's not permanent by the old D&D definition. It is until dispelled. So all it would take is someone with a good roll on dispel magic and poof, bye-bye forbiddens. Which is really unfortunate because dispel magic is only a third level spell. So all it takes is a caster able to use third level spells with a good roll to just make it go away, even though you expended 30 days of castings and a thousand gold worth of ruby. So that's not ideal. But at the same time, though, it honestly is just one of the best options just for keeping out teleporters. Because that is a pretty damn extensive list. Like, it doesn't just block teleport, but it blocks teleport, gates, from other planes, ethereal, all that shit gets blocked by forbiddance. And the fact that it can just damage creatures is pretty neat, but it's more the teleport aspect that I'm focused on at the moment. But yeah, it is a solid spell, but the fact that it 
is dispellable, the fact that it is cleric only does give the spell alone a good amount of weaknesses, unfortunately. So, another of the most common spells is surprisingly little known, in all honesty. Like, it's something that I'd be surprised if you've ever even heard of, which is a spell called Guards and Wards. Does that ring a bell at all? You're muted. Yeah, uh, my, my mouse died when I tried to unmute it. Uh-huh. <laughs> But no, that that, uh, does not ring a bell at all. (sighs) Figured. So that is also a 6th level spell. Uh, But this one is castable by bards and wizards, so probably more available in most D&D worlds. Uh, Also has a 24-hour duration, but what this one does, it protects up to 2,500 square feet, so much smaller area, since that's only a 50-foot square, really. Uh, It can be up to 20 foot tall, shaped as you desire. Uh, You can ward several stories of a stronghold by dividing the area among them as long as you walk into each contiguous area while you're casting the spell. So the shape of this is much more variable, which is pretty neat. Uh, When casting the spell, you can specify individuals that are unaffected by any or all of the effects that you choose. You can also specify a password that, when spoken aloud, makes the speaker immune to these effects. And unlike just what Forbidden does of just blocking travel, this has a whole bunch of effects in one spell. So first things first, fog fills all warded corridors, making them heavily obscured. In addition, at each intersection or branching passage that offers a change of direction, there's a 50% chance that a creature other than you will believe they're going in the opposite direction from the one that they choose. Also, all doors in the warded area are magically locked as if sealed by the arcane lock spell. In addition, you can cover up to 10 doors with an illusion that is equivalent to the illusory object function of the minor illusion spell that makes it look like it's just plain sections of wall. So that's fucking cool. So this is a 6th level spell, but the fact that it basically incorporates the effects of all of these other eff- other spells like is pretty neat. So it's just smushing all kinds of other spells into just one really variable effect, which is really cool. Also, just the fact that it does lock things as if by arcane lock. Like, So if you went with our bank example then, like, I would argue that if you had a fuck ton of safety deposit boxes, that would mean that each one is individually sealed by an arcane lock with this spell alone, which is way cheaper than doing arcane locks individually. But just wait, there's more. Also, for stairs, webs fill all stairs in the warded area from top to bottom as the web spell. These strands regrow in 10 minutes if they are burned or torn away while the spell lasts. So the web spell also just lets you pick a nice like 20-foot cube to just kind of fill space, but because this is the entire stairway, it's more powerful than just the base web spell to just restrain whatever opponents there are. But wait, there's more! Excuse me. You can place your choice of one of the following magical effects within the warded area of the stronghold. You could choose to place dancing lights in 
four corridors and designate a program that the lights repeat as long as the spell lasts. You can place a magic mouth in two locations. You could place a stinking cloud in two locations, which also returns in 10 minutes if it is dispersed. You can place a constant gust of wind in a corridor or a room, or you could place a suggestion in one location, which can be any area of up to five feet square, and then any creature that enters or passes through the area has to uh, save for the suggestion. Now, the entire warded area does radiate magic for this, but dispel magic cast on a specific effect if successful removes only that effect. And you can create a permanently guarded and warded structure by casting the spell there every day for a year. And this does have a material component of a bunch of things, including a small silver rod worth 10 gold, but it is not consumed. So all that it would take is that year of casting, and then you would have this permanent effect. And I also do wish to remind you that from the start of the spell, when you cast it, you can specify individuals that are unaffected by any or all of the effects that you choose, and you can give a password that makes the speaker immune. So if you have something like this in a bank, that would mean that there could literally be web-filled stairs for non-bank employees that just don't exist for the people who are, like, keyed in to this ward. That's fucking awesome. So all of these effects, the fact that you can't see in the corridors, the fact that things are, you know, locked by arcane lock, the webs in the stairs, like, the suggestion is probably the one that I personally would typically go with. Like, so to say, like, you know, turn around, you shouldn't be here, you know, and then they have to do the saving throw for that kind of suggestion. But... It is immune to those you wanted to. So whether you are trying to defend a stronghold, a bank, a house, what have you, this spell is amazing. But again, we do have the limitation to it that it is a 6th level spell, only accessible to bards and wizards. So trying to like hire a bard or wizard every single day to cast a 6th level spell over and over... That's the kind of thing that would definitely take a rather considerable amount of gold. But the effects of this spell are really good. And the fact that so much of it is, you can decide the shape, you can decide the extra magical effect that is in effect. Like, the flexibility of this spell is one that I personally really appreciate. And honestly, one of the best aspects is the fact that Dispel Magic doesn't destroy everything. It just destroys the specific effect that is successfully dispelled. So, really good spell, honestly. And there are a lot of spells that do offer protections and durability, but I don't want to spend all the time just going through every spell that exists. So I do just kind of want to pick and choose the personal favorites. So another one up there for me is Glyph of Warding. Are you familiar with that one at all, Mitch? I've heard it used in other shows. Okay, so what can you tell me about that spell? That it was used in other shows. But was it do? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this one is a third level spell. It does have a one hour casting time though. And it does have a material component cost of incense and powder diamond worth 200 gold, which is consumed. 
but also the spell does last until dispelled or triggered. So you do not have to worry about duration for this one also. So this is a very, very long amount of text for this spell, so I'm going to just paraphrase this one. But basically, you inscribe a glyph that unleashes a magical effect, and you can inscribe it onto a surface, such as a table or section of floor, or within an object that can be closed, such as a book, scroll, or treasure chest. So that alone is pretty neat. So again, sticking with the bank idea, if you had this in the safety deposit box, then you can have the trigger just be if someone opens it that isn't, you know, the person whose box it is or a bank employee, then it triggers this defense mechanism. So the fact that this is a triggerable spell is the biggest thing that just appeals to me for this because you choose what the trigger is. You can choose if the trigger is if the thing is open. If someone walks within a certain distance of the glyph, it gets triggered. And it is totally flexible in terms of details of trigger, too. You can further refine the trigger so the spell activates only under certain circumstances or according to physical characteristics, such as height or weight, creature kind. For example, the ward could be set to affect only aberrations or drow or alignment. You can also set conditions for creatures that don't trigger the glyph, such as those who say a certain password. So this is, as far as I know, the single most flexible spell in the game, because it is fully on the caster of the spell to decide what makes the spell go off. You can choose what it is. So you can even have it be something like, okay, like, let's say that, like, uh, Okay, have you ever heard of a portrait of holding? I believe so from magical portraits. But yeah, so yeah, there was an older D and D item in fourth edition that was a kind of extra dimensional space that only opened if like the person who was portrayed in the picture was standing in front of it trying to open it, and then it just wouldn't open for anyone else. So you can kind of get inspiration from like older magic items like that, or just anything really. Two, just kind of decide how you want to treat a glyph of warning. So with this glyph, you can just have it be like, okay, yeah, this will only open for this one person. Like, let's say you are defending a home. You can just like have a bunch of glyphs of warning set to defend the area. And you can just say like, okay, like I and, you know, my family are kind of keyed into it and anyone else has it go off. And on that note, let's say what the spell actually does once it's triggered. Because again, it's flexible. So the first option is explosive runes, which just has the glyph erupt in magical energy in a 20-foot radius sphere centered on the glyph. So the same area as a fireball, although a bit less damage. So it, every creature in the area has to do a deck save or take 5d8 damage. But when you pick the when you make the glyph, you choose what damage type you want it to be. So you can choose whether it's acid, cold, fire, lightning, or thunder damage. And much like a lot of deck save spells, it does still do half damage on a miss. So if you have multiple glyphs of warding in a relatively small area, this is one of those spells that can TPK, insta-kill any level of individual with sufficient planning. 
Because let's say you do have 10 glyphs of warding in just a small room that just gets triggered, that would be 50, 5 0, d8 of damage, of which they still take half on a successful save. So even taking half of 50 d8 is almost certainly going to kill anyone. And again, 10 third level spells isn't that out there in terms of preparation. So this is one of those spells that I also do think is one of the world-changing ones, because this is a powerful effect, and at the same time, this is one that is very strong on the fuck-you-I-win DM side of things, or player side of things, honestly, just anyone who does have access to this spell, because one other benefit of this spell is that it's accessible to bards, clerics, wizards, and artificers. So there's a lot of individuals who might have access to the spell, especially since it is only a third level spell. So there can be a good number of fifth level characters in a world that might have access to it. And the fact that it is so configurable means that there could be old tombs that just have glyphs of warding in them that just haven't get triggered because whoever made them made too specific a trigger. And so these could just kind of be there lingering. But wait, there's more. So I mentioned the explosive runes, but it also has another option called a spell glyph, which lets you prepare, or sorry, lets you store a prepared spell of third level or lower in the glyph by casting it as part of creating the glyph. And it does have to target a single creature or an area. So it doesn't have the spell just go off right away. What that does is that the spell is cast when the glyph is triggered. And then if the spell has a target, it does just target that creature, and then it just rolls either the attack roll or saving throw gets rolled as normal. And if it is an area, then the area gets centered on the triggering creature. So unlike the explosive runes, which just go off on the glyph, if you were to use spell glyph for, say, a fireball, you can have the trigger be, okay, if someone does, you know, walk within you know, walk up to the glyph, then it launches a fireball towards the person, which can make it even easier to just potentially hit an entire party with this triggered effect. Uh, sorry, I'm actually uh, tangenting a little bit. There's still more to the spell glyph itself, which is if the spell summons hostile creatures or creates harmful objects or traps, traps they appear as close as possible to the intruder and attack it. If the spell would require concentration, it lasts until the end of its full duration. Can you see some of the cheese that might be possible with this? No. <laughs> okay, let me put it this way. Sticking with our 10 spell, spell glyphs instead of explosive runes, instead of just explosive runes, let's say you actually store the fireball spell. That does 8d6 damage. And then if you had 10 of those go off, people are likely in for a pretty bad time. Or if you want to get silly with it, so it does specifically mention summoning creatures as explicitly possible. So you could just have 10 fucking, like, demons or devils get summoned, or elemental creatures. Like, any of the various summoning-type spells are really goddamn powerful. Like, honestly, imagine if you just really want to just get silly with it and use something like Conjurer Woodland Beings which lets you just summon eight 
you know, one fourth or lower CR creatures. And then if you just had, again, our typical 10 glyphs here, that would be AT. And as I do so often love to say, action economy is incredibly important in 5th edition. So if you suddenly have just a swarm of 80 creatures just get summoned because a bunch of glyphs go off, that is almost certainly an unwinnable fight unless you have an incredibly well-prepared party. Or just some means of just immediate escape. But the beautiful thing about Spellglyph is that I'm using, you know, summoning and fireball so far as examples, but it does not actually require it being something dangerous like that. They, this is a spell that has actually been errated uh, in the last couple of years. It used to say that it had to be a harmful spell, but that text has been removed from the spell. So now you could also just have smart bad guys that have their house set with glyphs to help them. You could have a spell glyph with cure wounds put in it. You could have haste put in it. So haste is a wonderful spell that normally does require concentration on the casting. But the fact that it does specify here that concentration spells last their full duration. So the bad guy wouldn't have to worry about using their concentration on haste or any of the other various just buff spells that exist. So if you have like some kind of you know, like magic using vampire in you know their room in the castle like they could just have it prepared so that like yeah okay they set the trigger uh, like let's just say the trigger is just if they say you know some you know type of command word or password whatever and then all these spell glyphs go off that just suddenly have him you know hasted if he stands here he gets healed if he stands there he gets this other buff and this other buff and this other buff like a well-prepared bad guy can make a lot of use out of Glyph of Warding. And honestly, so could a lot of good guys. Like, a lot of, you know, royalty in a D&D world should have, like, a lot of Glyphs of Warding available. Because it can danger your allies, help yourself and your out. Like, it is the most versatile spell in terms of protection. And it really is one of my favorite spells in 5th edition D&D. I love Glyph of Warding. But there's more, because at higher levels, you can cast Glyph of Warding with a higher level spell slot, which lets you increase the explosive runes damage by a d8, or with a spell glyph, you can store a spell up to the level you cast the Glyph of Warding. So you can, like, if you did, you know, cast like a 6th level Glyph of Warding, well, yeah, it gets very, very silly and how powerful and versatile that spell can be. The only real limitation to it is the fact that it does have that 200 gold uh, component cost that does get consumed. So you are limited by gold in terms of the casting, but the sheer flexibility of that spell is just beautiful. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, 
visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And moving on from Glyph of Warning, that spell does have a kind of big brother type spell. Well, not big brother, but, uh, you know, older sibling type spell. Symbol which is a 7th level version of the spell that basically just has a lot more status effect options and does not have any kind of spell glyph options. So you can have a symbol of death that has everyone need to make a calm saving throw or take 10d10 necrotic damage or half on a successful save. But even besides that, Again, status effects is arguably the more useful thing to use symbol for. So as an example, pain. Each target must make a constitution saving throw or become incapacitated with excruciating pain for one minute on a failed save. Do you realize the implication of that particular effect? Uh, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. Okay, so... One failed saving throw or become incapacitated with pain for one minute on a failed save. That sucks. But do you realize the implication of that, in particular the time? Uh, ten rounds? Ten fucking rounds! If you fail one saving throw against a symbol of pain, then you are incapacitated, which means you cannot take any actions or reactions for ten fucking rounds of combat! You're basically not in combat if you fail a single saving throw against pain. And another option, too, there's a stunning symbol as well, which is a wisdom save instead of con, but instead of just being incapacitated, you're full-on stunned, which is even worse, because stunned also incapacitates you, and you can't move, and you can't really speak right, and you auto-fail dexterity and strength saving throws. And all attacks against you will still have advantage. So, a, so the fact that you can choose which symbol effect you want to use, like depending on if you know what type of enemy you're trying to defend a place against, that is amazingly powerful. And of course, the downside to symbol is it's a 7th level spell, so not going to likely be super common. But also the fact that instead of the 200 gold component cost of a Glyph of Warning, it is 1,000 gold for the components for a symbol. But 
depending on the type of campaign you're running, like if you're playing like an epic level game where gold isn't really much of a concern anymore, symbol can be a massively powerful tool for both a DM and players. And all that we're talking about barriers and defenses on the more active side. Can you think of any passive magical defenses that might be possible? Uh, shield. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, okay. I'm just going to disregard and move on. There's a lot more types of magic in the game than just, you know, abjuration and evocation options. So illusion is an entire school of magic in D&D. And honestly, a very easy way or well, not easy, but a very effective way to defend a place is to make it hard to find. So if you do have the ability to just hide a location or make it so that it's not as easy to see or locate, that also is an incredibly valuable option. So there's a lot of ways that you might be able to do that. So probably one of the one of the effective options would be programmed illusion, which is another six level spell that lasts until dispelled. So you might notice the theme here. A lot of these spells seem to be around sixth level. But anyway, but programmed illusion just lets you affect an area up to a 30 foot cube. So you know, a decent, you know, small to medium building, maybe. And it just creates an illusion that might even loop depending on what you tell it to do. So that could just be like, okay, let's say you have a wizard tower just in the middle of the woods, and then you just have a programmed illusion to just make it appear that there just are more trees in the area where the tower is located. Or maybe it is just, it just looks to be a particularly large tree so that individuals will just walk right around it and just never notice that the tower itself is there. So it is illusion, so it is something that people might be able to find with an investigation check, but that's another one that is, because it is a programmed illusion, it is a flexible in terms of how you want to apply that effect, which just makes it another type of spell that I do enjoy. And honestly, an underrated spell is Magic Mouth. It is a second level spell and at second level spell that lasts until dispelled. So this is yet another one that does not have any kind of duration to worry about because it's just there. And also, this is yet another that is triggered based on just what what condition you set. And then so you could just have the magic mouth be just a recording that, okay, if someone walks within you know, too close to the, you know, casting of the spell, then it just has this magic mouth just appear and just yell, intruder, intruder, intrude. Like, it makes a great, you know, alarm system, but it could also be the kind of thing of, like, magic mouth is just another fun spell because you could have it just say whatever recording you like, uh, just as long as it is 25 words or less. So you can just have it be the kind of warning spell of just like, you know, this is private territory, you know, continue your journey around this barrier or be destroyed. Like, however you want to treat that kind of defense, like, Magic Mouth is a versatile kind of option for just warning, whether it is that there's intruder or to warn, hey, you can't go here, cut it out. Or to go back to our bank example, like, that could be a good option, too, for just, okay, like, bank employees could be exempt to it, 
But then if someone does walk where they're where they aren't supposed to, then yeah, that triggers that alarm. Which of course <laughs> I should of course mention the spell alarm, which is just a classic for a good reason. Because that is a first level spell that's available to a good amount of casters. Has an eight hour duration, so it does have a much shorter time. But again, you choose an area up to 20 foot cube, and it just alerts you whenever a tiny or larger creature touches or enters the warded area. And you can, again, set, set creatures that don't set off the alarm. So again, so at the start of shift for the bank, they set the alarm, and then just anyone who does not have you know, permission just sets off the alarm, which creates a mental ping in the caster's mind. Or can actually set a mental or audible that sets the sound of a handle, uh, handle, hand bell for 10 seconds. And what makes things even better is actually a somewhat more recent addition. Uh, I don't remember exactly when the book came out, but in Eberron Rising from the Last War, there's a new common magic item called a key charm. So, yeah, this is Eberron, but at the same time, I am always happy to steal good ideas from Eberron because Eberron has a lot of good ideas. So just disregard the whole mark of warding, just dragon mark side of things, because I don't care. But if you cast Alarm, Arcane Lock, or Glyph of Warding, you can tie the effect to the key charm so that whoever holds it receives the notification from the alarm spell, bypasses the lock of the arcane lock spell, or avoids triggering the glyph placed by a glyph of warding. So, instead of just the caster having that control over the originally cast spell, by having this common magic item of this key charm, this lets you tie those spells to the object instead of just the caster, which gives a massive amount more flexibility. So in other words, this would be the magic item that would be the key to the safety deposit box. It could be the key to a front door if you're just using it to defend a building. The key charm is an amazing item that should absolutely be utilized with all the spells that I've mentioned thus far. And honestly, there are yet more spells, but we're already starting to run a little bit long. And of course, I do want to talk about the homebrew side of things. So, Mitch, besides all the stuff that I have mentioned thus far, what might be some just other ways that magic might be used to defend a place or location? Uh, having a demiplane. Abso-fucking-lutely! That would be fantastic. Just make use of Demiplane and you've just got a 30-foot safe room. And again, like depending on just DM permissions, you might even allow something like a key charm to be used for the Demiplane. Like again, just having that type of flexibility is something that as a DM, you can choose how much or little you can anticipate or anticipate, make use of that kind of thing. Uh, also, just for funsies, can you think of just magically protected locations in other media, just in other fiction? You mean besides Worm? <laughs> I mean, hell, use, war use Worm. Yeah, well, the prison and Worm. Yeah, there is a prison. Yeah, so there's a web novel called Worm that Mitch and I are both quite fond of. Uh, definitely recommend it. 
But uh, yeah, they have a prison in that that is called the Birdcage. And it is purposefully kept vague to the prisoners exactly how the defenses work so that it's, it will make it so that they don't want to try too hard to break out, even though this is a superhero world with a lot of powers that might be used for such things. But the information that the prisoners think they know is that, first off, the entire location is just surrounded by vacuum. Like, they are just in a complex that is just held in a void of some kind. They actually don't know whether it's an extra-dimensional space. They don't know whether it might actually be just, like, a shrunken location. Like, they think that it might actually just be just a tiny shrunken building in the middle of a mountain somewhere. Like, they don't know exactly where their outsides are. But they do know for a fact that it is indeed surrounded by vacuum. Because if the walls of any of the cells or just anywhere in the complex is breached, then it does create the kind of like movie-style vacuum suction that just pulls until the room can get sealed off again and just will kill you. So if you do, you just will get sucked out into the void and die if you do breach the prison walls. And that does a lot to keep the prisoners from like trying too hard to break out because how the hell do you try, like break out of such a situation? If you are in some type of extra-dimensional space, or even if you're not, if you are just... like If you did just have like a, ho- a magically hollowed-out mountain that you also did just magically remove the air from so that it was just in vacuum, and... Even if that does sound a bit much to some people, I would like to remind you that we, like we humans on Earth, are able to just make locations in vacuum. Like that, like sucking the air out of a place is something that we do know how to do. So, in a magical world that actually does have like access to voids and extra-dimensional spaces and all of such things, like that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. I would say. So yeah, so you could have this kind of just vacuum area, so it is incredibly difficult to just have any prisoners able to escape such a location. So honestly, like if you do just want a good description of a way to have a secure prison for superpowered individuals, I really would just suggest reading Worm because yeah, the birdcage isn't is very very effective. But anyway. Uh, as much as I would love to just talk about Worm, I probably shouldn't tangent on that too much. Uh, can you think of any other examples just uh, from other forms of media that has something that could be a magical production? Uh, I don't know, the only other thing coming to mind is Arkham, and uh, that is very much not magical nor very well protected. <laughs> no, it is neither of those things. Honestly, the last example I want to use before I really go into the homebrew side Hogwarts in Harry Potter. So the wizarding world in general makes use of magical protections. What's kind of neat is that they actually have quite a few different angles because Diagon Alley is hidden via illusion and some kind of space, like space compression magic because they have a lot of land somehow in the middle of London. So I'm guessing that there's some kind of space, you know, space compression magic in effect there. 
but it seems to mostly be illusions. Same thing for platform nine and three quarters. Like there is just that portal barrier that just transport them to platform nine and three quarters. But then Hogwarts itself, though, is explicitly described as a magically protected location. It is allegedly the safest, one of the safest places in the wizarding world. And it is explicitly described as having magical protections to prevent against apparition, you know, the wizard's teleportation. And they do indeed show that you're not supposed to be able to just apparate into or out of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And in the movie version, you actually do see Voldemort trying to get into the wards via just blasting just large amounts of magic just at this bubble that appears around the school. And that will take me to the homebrew side of things, wards. Because for all of the magic that does exist, as you know, I've been describing for the last 45 minutes or so, there is still a lot of limitations to the existing spells that exist in 5th edition D&D. So with that in mind, it behooves me to consider, okay, what about things that aren't spells? So yeah, you know, magic items would be a possibility to just like have a magic item that is able to cast Glyph of Warding or a magic item that might be able to cast, you know, Mighty Fortress is just another handy spell. But even though that is, you know, a stone fortress, I still wouldn't quite count that as protection. But you could still have, you know, a magic item to cast guards and wards or any of the other things that I've been talking about all this time. But that's still not quite sufficient to deal with the limitations of the existing spells. So, of course, me being me, Mitch, what did I do? We made like 400 charts. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll be honest, I am fairly confident that Wards is, in fact, the thing that I created the most homebrew of. I have pages and pages. Like, this is a homebrew entire system of just like non spell magical effects that are able to just be put over a location and i even came up with ways you could fuel actually i'll get into alternate later i'm getting well ahead of myself the basic idea is that okay magic exists the ability to protect locations does already exist based again all those spells i mentioned so why would there not be an option to take more time more magic to be able to permanently put some type of magical protections over an area or just, you know, a building, a, a city, even if you really do want to scale it up to ludicrous size. So I created an entire system of wards that do just that, where you can just pump massive amounts of just gold or magic or, you know, some alternates to just create this kind of effect and just calculating out okay like let's say that i want to defend a house i just have you know a magical barrier around it and it's pretty simple 
it's just there. It has a certain amount of power. Like if it does get like blasted with other magic, then it might, you know, get weakened and then eventually taken down. Like that's the simple. And again, in a high magic world, especially, there kind of needs to be some form of just magic defenses. And again, as a DM, you don't have to go nearly as far as I do. You can just say and just use hand wavium, just there are magical protections in place. You know, the king is guarded such that, you know, his bedroom cannot be teleported into, cannot have unauthorized people physically able to walk into the room. Like, you can just say or describe the effects that you want to be in place, and then just don't worry about the cost because they're the damn king. They don't worry about the cost of such things. Like, if you want to just do that way, that's fine. But I am an overly logical individual, as is well known at this point. So, yeah, I came up with pages and pages of an entire system that I use across just the entirety of my own world to have quantified, okay, like, this is what it takes to have this much power. It's able to resist, you know, this much damage until it gets taken down. Uh, also figuring, so also, a lot of the magical effects that I previously did describe were spells. Mitch, do you remember what I said was the weakness of using defensive spells lack of permanence that is one what was the other one dispellability correct those two things are the biggest weaknesses to using spells because again dispel magic is something that quite a number of individuals may have access to so having something that is not a spell and therefore cannot be dispelled would be the logical thing to do however it is. It can also be argued that that is a dick move on a DM part to not have dispel have some effect on a ward that might exist. So again, I factored that in and just had it so that dispel doesn't actually end a ward, but that it is able to drain an amount of power from the ward. So like to quantify the magic in a ward. I kind of just treat it like a magic item. So if you just treat it as, okay, you know, this is a powerful ward, so it has 50 charges in it. Okay, cool. So then those 50 charges can get, like, slowly drained out by multiple... Like, if you'd have 10 people casting Dispel Magic, yeah, that ward is probably going to go away. If you do have, you know, particularly powerful magic users, they might be able to do it. Then... Just having all of that quantified, again, just basically if you just treat a magical effect kind of like a magic item, that really is just an efficient way to go about it. Because in addition to Dispel, the fact that it does have charges means that you could quantify the amount of power in it that can be used. So if you have either a ward that is just you know, keyed to the caster, or if you did make use of key charms for a ward as well, then that might mean that the person who does control the ward can choose to use the power actively. And this is something that actually I have found 
can really help to improve the ability of a boss fight in 5th edition. Like, I have talked a lot in the past about how much I love boss fight, but that 5th edition action economy limits what you're able to do with that. But by having a person in their place of power, then that just means then, okay, so yeah, if you do have a boss with, you know, some glyphs of warding that are giving them some buffs or potentially healing, if you also have, like, the ward itself that might, you know, be, like, treat that like a layer effect that might just act on initiative 20 to just be able to use some amount of its power, then that massively helps a boss feel like a boss to actually be dangerous in their territory. And that even if they do get caught off guard, like maybe it could be like the first act is just to have like a globe of invulnerability to just let them, you know, have a moment to, you know, figure out what's going on and just have a moment to like help them endure, uh, you know, surprise so that you don't just get ganked in the first round before they're able to take a damn action. Like, having a lair effect type ward massively helps you actually make use of a boss fight. Now, are you familiar with the spell Disintegrate? Uh, vaguely. I mean, the Beholder tried to use a uh, ray of it, right? Yeah. So, Disintegrate is a another just very, very valuable spell in 5th edition, and of course, yet another of the 6th level good spells. Again, 6th level really does seem to be just a very just important milestone of magic. Uh, anyway, but besides just using Disintegrate against people, it has a much less used, just also, ability to it, which is the target can be a creature, an object, or a creation of magical force, such as the wall created by Wall of Force. And it does also specifically mention later, if the target is a huge or larger object or creation of force, the spell disintegrates a 10-foot cube portion of it. So disintegrate is probably the most dangerous spell in D&D in terms of trying to protect a location because you can't really defend against disintegrate your best option would just be to have like a glyph of warding with counterspell so that it just counterspells just uses of disintegrate because as a sixth level spell disintegrate only has so many castings possible because i mean even a high level character will at most have two sixth level spell slots and like, yeah, they might, you know, have a couple higher level spell slots, but even so, Disintegrate is a finite resource amongst the party. But the fact that Disintegrate does just flat out instantly destroy a 10-foot cube of a creation of force, like, that means that you could just pop a hole in even, like, my type of ward, as powerful as it might be, it doesn't break it, but you can use disintegrate as a hole punch, which creates a lot of interesting strategy because, okay, they've got a hole in the ward now so they can get through it, but then that still might allow the ward to cast some of the offensive options. It might, it would still alert the person inside that the players are coming, but it is a fantastic, 
fantastic spell. So Disintegrate will get through, again, 10-foot creation of force or object. So the object part, too. So even if you do have, like, our adamantine bank from the previous example, well, that would still disintegrate 10 feet of an adamantine wall? Yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to have a more than 10-foot thick wall of adamantine. So yeah, you're going to get in with a casting of disintegrate. So there are a lot of ways to try to protect objects, places in a D&D world. But it is a constant battle of power and of creativity for the offense and defenses of protection. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to a monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media on Twitter at Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, and you can send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffsandrules at gmail.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.